0: So, and sometimes human-like.
1: Very human. They actually had their rifles sighted on it and thought they were going to pull the trigger and they couldn't because they said, "And this looks just like a man I'm shooting at.
0: Welcome to another episode of God and the Paranormal, a podcast exploring the supernatural from a biblical worldview. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Suzanne, and I'm here with my colleague, John. So today we're talking about the big guy, Bigfoot, yep. Sasquatch, Yeti, Harryman, Man, Yowie, Momo, Grassman, Skunk Ape. Did I forget any <laughs>
1: poster child for streaming TV?
0: Yeah, Sasquatch is everywhere right now, on t-shirts, bumper stickers, the Finding Bigfoot show.
1: Which probably should be called Not Finding Bigfoot.
0: Oh, come on, they're really trying.
1: No, I really don't blame them. Bigfoot and all the other cryptids, man, they're rock stars today.
0: Can you define that term?
1: Rock stars?
0: Oh, no, cryptid.
1: Oh, a cryptid. (laughs) Literally, that means a hidden animal, but specifically, it's a legendary, yet-to-be-officially-documented species, and technically not necessarily paranormal.
0: Okay. Um, And since you actually do go looking for the big guy yourself, that would make you a, what, cryptozoologist?
1: That's what I like to tell people.
0: (laughs) So have you found any evidence yet?
1: I can neither confirm nor deny.
0: Seriously, though, you grew up in Bigfoot country, right?
1: Yeah, our home was a few miles from Falk, Arkansas, of Boggy Creek fame. Mostly pine lowlands and just miles and miles of pine timber. A lot of easy places for a large cryptid to hide in.
0: So you think he's real?
1: Well, the same story you'll hear with most paranormal phenomena. A significant number of normal, reputable, nothing to gain. People just claim that they've seen it.
0: Do you know any people who've seen it?
1: Oh yeah. And I'm conflicted too. I've got this science voice in my head saying, you need a real body, some real proof or DNA or something. And I've got people that I trust saying, I know what I saw and it was a huge hairy humanoid.
0: Wow. And that does seem to be the trend. As we said in episode five, you have three categories for potentially paranormal phenomena. Mistaken identifications, human directed activity, and observationally accurate events. We can probably assume that the Bigfoot accounts are similar to the paranormal events. The majority are mistaken identifications or human-directed activity. But I don't like to think that way. I really like to think that there's more mystery out there.
1: (laughs) And the human-directed aspect of this is, it wouldn't actually be staged deception, I don't think, because someone would really have to be stupid to put on a hairy suit and run through my neck of the woods. You would become a rare creature very quickly.
0: So you've never done that?
1: Oh, no way. <laughs> there have been plenty of cryptid hoaxes, though. In 1893, a Wisconsin man claimed to have killed a strange legendary beast that around that area, they called it a hodag. It was near or Wisconsin. Okay. And he actually put the stuffed body on display at the county fair there. And it really mesmerized people. It was uh, supposedly the head of a frog with big, sharp teeth and mm. the spiny back of a stegosaur and spiked dragon tail. Wow. Eventually, he admitted the hoax, though. I think when the Smithsonian people came and said, <laughs> no, we don't think this is real. He, he admitted he had sewn together parts from various animals.
0: Ooh. Um, that's kind of like the Jackalope, right? Yeah.
1: The Hodag is still the school mascot though, so <laughs> and the town still has the annual hodag festival, which I'd like to go to someday. That sounds that interesting.
0: Fun. Um, we really do love our local cryptids, don't we?
1: Oh yeah. But like other phenomena, we still find that small perplexing proportion like you wanted to find earlier, that observationally accurate event, the ones Mm -hmm. that don't really seem to have an explanation except as a real creature.
0: So what kind of Bigfoot encounters do your acquaintances have around South Arkansas?
1: Well, way back in the day when I was a kid, the old timers would tell about big hairy creatures in the bottoms. That's the lowlands around the creeks and rivers there. But they would say that food had been stolen, chickens killed, gardens raided. They called them wild men and were kind of of matter-of-fact about it. The rationale was that they originated from maybe groups of backwood people who just stayed to themselves so long that they eventually lost touch with civilization. And they got wilder and wilder. And eventually, they grew thick body hair to survive the winter. More recently, though, it's usually just brief sightings while someone is hunting or camping. Uh, One runs across the road and someone (laughs) sees it. And there's a lot of sounds there, too, attributed to Bigfoot.
0: Yeah, apparently Bigfoot can be really noisy.
1: They say that he does wood knocks, which sounds kind of like a a stick banging onto a tree. Actually, there are three vocalizations that people talk about. Uh, They hear them doing whoops, which I won't try to imitate. Oh, please. howls, which are really loud. And a lot of people, this is interesting, they talk about a thing now called samurai talk because it has the inflections of like Japanese people talking to each other. Okay. So it's not real Japanese language, but to hear it from a distance, it just sounds kind of like, and I won't imitate that either, but <laughs>
0: they,
1: they describe it as an Asian inflected speech of some sort. I actually have a sound here. This is one of the most famous sounds around it was recorded in 1994 and it's called the ohio sound real popular listen to this When people describe it, the thing that's common about it is they just say it's incredibly loud. And it's so loud that it shakes their chest, they say. Yeah. Kind of like a rock concert.
0: So you do research on tree breaks, too, don't you?
1: Yeah. Down in South Arkansas, there are reports of what people think could be indirect evidence. And what they find are pine trees, like pine tree saplings, really that Mm -hmm. seem to be broken off at right around the 10 to 12 foot height. I personally don't think that's Bigfoot. I've seen that all my life and I kind of tend to think it's ice damage or wind damage. So what I'm trying to do is compare different areas and uh, use some statistics and measurements to try to show that one area that supposedly has a Bigfoot may not be much different from another area somewhere.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So why would Bigfoot want to break a tree?
1: Have you ever been in the woods and you just get really mad and say, I want to break a tree?
0: Uh, maybe. <laughs> I'm usually just really happy to be in the woods.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. That's that's a mystery, why, why he would reach up and just crack off a tree.
0: Do you think maybe, do some people argue that he's, like, marking a trail, or...
1: I've heard that, that it marks his direction, or maybe he just likes to show off.
0: Well, it's interesting that you've seen so much of it growing up. I mean... Yeah. Surely they're not walking by every other tree and breaking it off for direction. I don't know. Uh, There are other scientific researchers looking for Bigfoot, too, all over the United States, right?
1: Yeah, among the weekend chasers that are out there, who I I really don't criticize them. It's good exercise, like you said, and being (laughs) being in the woods is never bad. A bad day hunting Bigfoot is better than a good day at work. I saw that on a bumper sticker.
0: That's good.
1: Yeah. And the BFRO, the Bigfoot Research Organization, that's probably the most well-known research group. They're the ones with the TV shows and everything. They investigate some of the sightings, but mainly what they do is compile all the data together. It's kind of a clearinghouse for Bigfoot. And most of their volunteers are fairly scientific in their approach.
0: So what I've been thinking about this whole time, though, is the footprints. I see those offered as evidence on the shows. And just for like the random encounters that people have, it's, a lot of times they see the footprints.
1: I have questions about those, too. Obviously, it probably would be easy to fake those. Although recently there have been some that have toe prints, like you have fingerprints. And mm-hmm. in, in some very fine mud, you can see those prints that it would it would take a lot of effort to copy those i think and also people are noticing that on what they think are authentic big footprints it has what they're calling a mid-tarsal break and that's kind of a a bend that happens in the middle of the foot which humans don't have And that would be
0: hard to replicate right
1: yeah and and apes actually have that so unless unless some really creative primatologist or something was trying to pull (laughs) off a, a trick it's kind of it is, I guess it is more convincing than someone just walking around with big plywood feet on or something. Well,
0: I mean, so back to your whole, like, there's three possibilities. I mean, I could see someone doing that, but some of these sightings are in such remote areas. Yeah. I, I mean, why would anyone be out there with Bigfoot fake feet walking across that trail at that time,
1: And that's something we'll bring up often. Someone could fake a lot of paranormal stuff, but when you have to go to a lot of trouble and expense and it gets complicated, I think that lowers the chances that something like that would happen.
0: Well, and just the idea, too, that there have been footprints found all over the country, not Mm -hmm. just in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, Um,
1: it's pretty common.
0: That, to me, feels like it would be harder to pull off as a hoax. So I think if I ever encountered a Bigfoot body or ran over one on the way to work, I would lose my mind. But um, (laughs) I've watched crime shows. I would get a DNA sample, blood or hair or something. Right. Why aren't people doing that?
1: Uh, Some people are. And I think most people, the same reason some people don't get pictures. It's just shocking, they say. Mm -hmm. And you talk to them afterwards, they say, I just didn't think about it. But yeah, if you found a body or hair somewhere, there have been quite a few people who have sent in DNA samples. Usually it comes back as human DNA. Hmm. So think about that. The conclusion is usually that, oh, you just contaminated the sample or someone was there before you bleeding or losing <laughs> hair. But what if Bigfoot actually is kind of a subtype of homo sapiens and its DNA really isn't distinguishable in some way? That's been suggested anyway.
0: That's interesting. Cause I tend to think of him as ape-like. But maybe that's not the case.
1: Yeah, and there's another question. Are all Bigfoot the same? Mm -hmm. And the answer, clearly no. Some report kind of ape-like features, and they mean that the nose is uh, pressed into the head with just like two nostrils pointing forward and some say that it's completely human nose that hangs over and the nostrils are pointing down some people have said that it looks just like pictures of neanderthal people that they see in museums and magazines and some people say that it has a long snout like a baboon
0: um so and sometimes human-like
1: yeah, very human. So much so that there have been uh, observers who claim that they actually had their rifle sighted on it and thought they were going to pull the trigger and kill it. But they couldn't because they said, and this looks just like a man I'm shooting at.
0: So maybe that's another reason why we haven't had an actual um, body yet from Bigfoot.
1: Could be. Yeah.
0: Um, but he lo- they look like a person, but with a lot of hair, right?
1: Yeah, always with a lot of hair, it seems like. And a lot of variation there, too. Some witnesses describe long, matted hair with trash in it. And some say that it's short hair, very sleek and shiny and clean. And some say there's hair on the face. Uh, most of the faces, though, they they talk about them being hairless, kind of on the cheeks, but hair around the face, kind of like you would expect a grade eight to be.
0: In those accounts, do they note what color the hair or the skin is of Bigfoot?
1: Yeah, skin is mostly dark, although some people have said that it's kind of grayish suede looking. Most people describe the color the fur as very black or just very dark brown. That's the most common. There are a few grayish ones that uh, at night time when headlights hit it, it seems to be white. That's what they think okay. the white ones are. And a lot of them have kind of a reddish brown color. And it's very common in some reports to hear of the uh, the silverback apes that have streaks of gray running down their back.
0: Wow. Yeah, so a lot of variety in what people are seeing, but also a lot of similarities in the overall structure of the creature. So you listen to a lot of Bigfoot podcasts. Um, For listeners who may not have the latest Squatch data, could you do a brief synopsis like what Tyrell did with Ghost? If you had to describe the perfect Bigfoot, all of the most common reports, what would it look like?
1: Uh, A lot of the reports of the one called skunk ape, for example, which is from Florida. That's your stomping ground, isn't it?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Florida people say that skunk apes look a lot like orangutans. Pacific Northwest, Mm -hmm. they say it looks more like Harry and the Hendersons. And in the South, it's just all over the place. We have all kinds of different looks on it. A lot of it is similar to the Patterson-Gimlin But the height also varies. I think this could be age-related, possibly. Mm -hmm. We could be looking at young ones. But we have reports from 3 feet tall to 12 feet, and sometimes even bigger. And a lot of reporters mention the extreme broadness of the chest and they say it's just incredibly wide, five feet wide and arms wow. that reach down to the knees. That's a, a very common one. So obviously that that sounds kind of ape like. But, you know, all of all of this difference does kind of cause some doubt, doesn't it? Because you would think the bigger the creature, the harder it would be to stay hidden or to find food. And the more different types seem to make it less credible that there there would be that many species in a single continent somewhere
0: and we just haven't found them yet yeah when you describe him that way i'm not sure i want to see bigfoot that would be terrifying
1: most people say that after they've seen it they don't want to see it again if that lends any credibility you know it's it's not people out saying whoa i'm looking for this and it was cool i'm going to go back and look for it again
0: so you think that the different species makes it less credible
1: i think so to have that many different breeding populations, it just complicates the idea and makes it less likely, I think.
0: The Patterson-Gimlin film shows a Bigfoot kind of strolling across the screen. And that's actually what first hooked me on Bigfoot. I saw that on some TV show. Yeah, when little, was that? 1967,
1: back when they filmed that?
0: I don't know, but that hooked me as a little kid. And yeah, it's my the brother quintessential and sister- Bigfoot. Yeah, my brother and sister were upset at my mom for letting me watch that because that started my whole belief in Bigfoot as like <laughs> a first grader.
1: <laughs> yeah, and with better monitoring today and, and film diagnosis, they can tell that it's definitely a female. Her name's Patty, by the way. That's what. Oh, okay,
0: Patty. Well, so anyway, in that film, a Bigfoot strolls across the stream. Patty. Mm-hmm. Um. Do these Bigfoots have common behaviors?
1: yeah walking like like you just mentioned there with patty some of them walk kind of with a ambling gait like that and we'll talk next time about some stranger type things but okay. there's there are a lot of commonalities in behavior that are, are just strange that if people were making it up you would think that they could probably do a little bit better
0: <laughs> okay uh,
1: one thing is they run really really fast that's just across the board it seems like if you ever see one running Uh, It's just running faster than people could run. And that's kind of hard to do when you think about the terrain they're running over. Or
0: the size of a creature like that. Yeah,
1: eight-foot things, five feet wide, trying to run through a forest. They sometimes call it bulldozing because they say that's what it sounds like, just knocking trees out of the way. And sometimes they do go down on all fours. People have seen them kind of travel like a gorilla
0: so maybe that's when they're knocking the trees over, when they're running through and hitting them? Oh, maybe so. Them. All right. So what? tell me some more uh, commonalities.
1: Well, they do a thing some of the time, but it seems like when there are more than one present, especially if there's a male and a female, which, by the way, that's that's common, too, to have a male and what they assume is a female because it's usually a little bit shorter, and a couple of kids Oh wow! So a little family unit—that's that's really a popular or a common thing that people are seeing. But if that happens, the male will typically do a bluffing thing, which is exactly what the great apes do—they run at you like they're going to attack you, but they always stop short wow. of it. And you really don't hear of a lot of people—I mean, very few cases of people being hurt or killed by Bigfoot. So I guess that's good.
0: I mean, you've—I've also heard of of cases where people have been saved by Bigfoot. Yeah. But same at point. the same time, maybe we wouldn't hear about the cases where people have been hurt by Bigfoot because maybe Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that them. too.
1: That they just <laughs> ate them up. But yeah, they're curious too. And that's that's something that people have noted, that they'll hang around houses and look through windows and mm. go through shops and things like that. So even though they're kind of stealthy and want to stay away from people, that they're still curious about us. And this is a big one. Most of the people, not all of them, but almost everyone that experiences one talks about a terrible odor that comes from it. They seem to describe it as something like either a cross between a rotten skunk, a wet dog, or just rotting flesh. Oh. So don't know. Could that be a defense mechanism or they just pour at h- hygiene or who knows? Interestingly, another thing that some people notice happening is that if they take something, they will leave something there in place of it. Like, for example, if they go through your shed, you find the next day that a, a wrench is missing. You'll find something in the place of it, like a seashell or a rock. <laughs> that's, and
0: that's,
1: that's called gifting.
0: Okay. Yeah. What about, um, I've heard a lot of accounts of, of things being thrown at hikers.
1: They do. They throw things, uh, mostly rocks. And big rocks, too. That's another thing that gives you the clue that this isn't just someone throwing a rock because you hear stories of huge, like pumpkin-sized rocks coming through the woods or a tree trunk flying at you from somewhere. Wow. And usually they don't hurt people, so maybe that's just part of their bluffing thing.
0: Yeah, maybe they have good accuracy. (laughs) Yeah.
1: If I had a big rock land near me, I would leave, I think.
0: Yeah, that is an effective bluffing technique, I think. (laughs) Let's think about cryptids in general. As we said, these really don't fall under the paranormal umbrella, do they?
1: In the purest sense of the definition, no. Uh, Secretive undocumented primate wouldn't be considered paranormal.
0: And under that paranormal umbrella, there's a range of fringiness, we could call it. And when we say fringy, that just means not in the center of traditional belief. The idea is out of the perimeter somewhere.
1: And sometimes that could be relative. Bill Nye, the science guy, probably considers Genesis creation to be fringy.
0: Oh, okay. That's the interesting point. So on a scale from one to five, with five being extremely fringy, what do you consider today's episode?
1: <laughs> okay. So fringe factor, I think a one or maybe a one and a half by the end of it. Really? Not, not very fringy at all.
0: Is that because Bigfoot is like what we're saying everywhere in the media? But we might be touching about it in a more fringy way next episode, right?
1: Oh, yeah. We only have time today to look at the flesh and blood cryptids, as they're called. But there's a whole other aspect out there, and we'll explore that the next time. Next episode has a fringe factor of pretty close to a five, I would imagine.
0: Okay, okay. I'm going to look forward to that. Um, Anyway, there's nothing necessarily paranormal or supernatural about undocumented species, right?
1: No. For example, before the early 1800s, scientists would get reports of large, mysterious, hairy men living in the jungles Mm. of Africa. And that was pretty recently. Most saw these as just exaggerations or mistaken identifications. But someone finds a skull one day and shortly after, a tribe of African gorillas were documented.
0: (gasps) Oh, wow. So
1: a mysterious cryptid one day and documented species the next.
0: And there's obviously nothing paranormal about gorillas.
1: I don't think so. And by the way, world-class biologist Jane Goodall, who worked with gorillas all of her life, believes Bigfoot is just an undocumented species of North American primate.
0: I didn't know that she had an opinion on Bigfoot. That's cool. Wow. Is the Patterson-Gimlin film what started the Bigfoot craze in America?
1: That's what you think of, isn't it? Every time they talk about Bigfoot, they usually show that.
0: Yeah, or like Harry and the Hendersons.
1: Another classic. But no, in America, there are legends of the hairy people that go back centuries, Mm. especially in Native American narratives. And as with the giants, stories in almost every tribe you can imagine, sometimes the hairy people were the cannibalistic giants we mentioned last episode.
0: Oh, wow.
1: On the other hand, some tribes considered them just another human tribe albeit large, hairy, smelly humans, but (laughs) the stories say they actually visited and traded with each other.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. And once again, most world cultures have hairy man legends.
1: Every continent, almost Mm -hmm. every language, lots of petroglyphs depicting large, hairy humanoids. And for what it's worth, there were fossils in China of a 10-foot ape, Gigantopithecus. So that actually would have been close to Bigfoot's alleged size.
0: So when we consider all of these things, it seems reasonable to think that America could have indigenous large primates, doesn't it?
1: At least possible. And there are also some reasonable objections to the idea that people bring up. Other large primates, you know, around the world live in tropical areas with just lots and lots of food and habitat. Mm -hmm. So unless our Bigfoot were omnivores at the very top of the food web, it would be hard for a, a breeding population to survive do bigfoot migrate with changing food supplies do they hibernate we just don't know
0: and i notice you're using the accepted bigfoot grammar you can refer to it or him or them with the same term bigfoot it's like sheep or deer right
1: yeah i don't want to be ridiculed by my peers
0: (laughs) so no bigfoots or big (laughs) feet
1: no no way when in doubt you just say sasquatch and the name bigfoot 1958 california there was a i believe a bulldozer operator who found these large footprints and called them bigfoot for the first time i think that turned out to be a, a hoax in some way but the name actually stuck it sounds good
0: yeah yeah and it, and like we said it's ubiquitous everybody pretty much now knows what we're talking about when we say bigfoot yeah um but he seems to be 100 percent elusive at least as far as definitive documentation. What's up with that?
1: I think that is a problem for a Bigfoot hunters or believers, and we may have a solution to that in the next episode, I think. Some biologists suggest that there would have to be large enough number across the, all the sites reported to make up a, a viable breeding population. So maybe a minimum number in North America of 3,000 to 5,000.
0: And they could still stay hidden given that humans are everywhere?
1: Well, there are 20,000 cougars, supposedly, in America. So how often does someone see one of those, or or how often do you find a body of a dead cougar?
0: I guess it happens, but relatively few, I would think.
1: And cougars tend to live in populated areas anyway, because they're predators. They have to kind of make appearances occasionally. Arkansas has about 3,000 black bear in the whole state, which... They usually don't even try to avoid humans, and it's relatively rare to see one considering that number and their tendency to look for food in the human spaces that are around. And very rarely does anyone find a dead bear carcass. Oh, yeah. Do Bigfoot (laughs) bury their dead or eat them or hide them somewhere? Oh, also in South Arkansas for example there's a lot of unpopulated land and it's it's timberland you would be amazed a friend took me up in a helicopter once to see it and we just flew for miles and miles wow. with nothing but timber and wow. i think most people think when you think of forest which seem to be bigfoot habitat We think of them as a big open area with scattered tree trunks underneath, but that's not usually the case in most of the U.S. Most wild forests in America are very difficult for humans to hack through.
0: And I suppose it's easy to hide there.
1: If you wanted to. And stealth, shyness, hiding, maybe those are just survival traits that are just part of Bigfoot's genetics.
0: Yes, and the fact is there are still huge amounts of unpopulated land on Earth. And we still see new species discovered all the time. So it's possible. Uh
1: Stats from 1995 to 2005, zoologists discovered over 400 new species of mammals in the world. And about a fourth of those naturally were little rodents as expected. But there were larger mammals as well. Uh, They found 11 new hooved mammals and surprisingly 55 new species of primate. Wow. Wow. Yeah, in 2003, zoologists were surprised to discover a population of new primates in the jungles of Tanzania. This new species of baboon they called Kapunji. The Smithsonian Magazine said this, quote, "...Astonishing for a large primate to be discovered in the 21st century in a heavily populated corner of East Africa, where human beings have been kicking around for as long as we have had humans."
0: But you also always hear the question, why aren't we seeing them everywhere and getting pictures? But I suppose that's a moot point because people are seeing them and getting pictures.
1: Thousands of sightings per year in the U.S. It's just not the right people or the right credentials or the right time.
0: And despite all of the reports we do hear, I imagine there are a lot of unreported sightings.
1: Yeah. And about pictures... Try sometimes to get a picture of an animal in the woods and see how hard that is. I photograph a lot of wildlife, and it's really not as easy as it seems, unless you have a bird that's like sitting on a feeder or a deer posing in a field somewhere. And next time an animal runs in front of your car, try to get your phone out and get a good photo of it real quick.
0: Unless you're driving, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. One of my fears is that I'm going to actually see Bigfoot cross the road and not be able to get a picture. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot may be the most familiar cryptid, but there are also others.
1: Yeah, and also different categories of cryptids.
0: Yeah, and you discuss those in your book.
1: And I won't detail it all here, but let's take another famous cryptid, Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster.
0: Uh, One of my favorites, and from your motherland.
1: (laughs) Aye, lassie. Lots of sightings over the centuries. Again, most are fake, but a good number are kind of convincing. That's why my Scottish genes are telling me anyway.
0: And it's not just Nessie. We have Champ in Lake Champlain, Ogopogo in British Columbia, Peppy in Lake Peplin, and we need one here in Beaver Lake. We could call it (laughs) Beebe.
1: Yeah, the most common take by Nessie believers is that she's maybe a plesiosaur or a mosasaur or some other type of aquatic dinosaur.
0: And we know for sure that these species did exist at one time. We have the skeletons.
1: And see the difference compared to Bigfoot? No one claims he's an African gorilla. He's just an unknown primate species. But if Nessie is equated with a known dinosaur species, then it's only a question of whether that species might have survived to the present and not whether it could actually exist or not.
0: I've also heard claims of other modern-day dinosaur survivors, a pterodactyl creature in South America, a brachiosaur in Cameroon, but that, doesn't this kind of depend on your worldview?
1: Yeah, it certainly does. And that's why this type of cryptid becomes controversial. No self-respecting proponent of Darwinian evolution wants to be confronted with a living dinosaur.
0: And especially a T-Rex. <laughs> but,
1: well, that too. But to find a species that had survived unchanged for presumably several hundred million years, it may not rip you apart, but it would rip your naturalistic theories to smithereens. Nice. And it would mess up a lot of biology books and museums and scientific theories, too.
0: So we won't be expecting the current science establishment to put a lot of time and money into researching these cryptids.
1: No, I wouldn't think so. And curses on anyone who believes that there are extant dinosaurs hidden somewhere on Earth. However, if you take a young Earth stance on the age of the Earth, you actually aren't as bothered by those millions of years as the evolutionists would be.
0: And the young earth view is a literal take on Genesis one earth as thousands of years old rather than billions. So I'm guessing that might be why you have more fundamental Christians interested in some cryptids.
1: Yeah. And this is a place where worldview matters. Someone with a biblical worldview, a biblical literalist, they wouldn't be surprised to find a living relic dinosaur.
0: And they wouldn't go out of their way to deny such report.
1: No, by the way, There is a precedent for finding a prehistoric species unchanged for what evolutionists would say millions of years. Listeners have likely heard of the coelacanth, a fossil fish from supposedly 400 million years ago. It sent shivers down the collective naturalist finds when an unsuspecting museum curator actually noticed one of these in a fish market in 1938. Wow. So we now know that there's a huge population of them right off the coast of South Africa.
0: Do you think that the behemoth and the leviathan described in Job were dinosaurs?
1: Well, I'm a biblical literalist, so I wouldn't be surprised if these were dinosaurs.
0: In the context, God is reprimanding Job for doubting. So he's reminding Job of two extraordinary creatures he had created. The message was, Job, you're worried about my ability to save you. Just look at some of my work.
1: And once again, non-supernatural interpretations will say this is just poetic language or these beasts were maybe an elephant or a crocodile.
0: Yeah, but with just a straightforward reading, I'm sorry, these descriptions don't seem to fit elephants or crocodiles. I'm looking at Job 40:15 through 19. Behold now, behemoth, he moves his tail like a cedar. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. I mean, like, his tail is like a cedar tree.
1: Doesn't sound like an elephant, does it?
0: No. And in Job 41, the Leviathan, a water creature, here's the passage. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will you play with him as with a bird? Will traders bargain over him? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. These are Hebrew question forms with an implied no answers.
1: Pretty impressive animals. And they don't seem like elephants, hippos, or crocodiles either, I don't think.
0: And people have commonly killed those and did with them what these verses say you can't. They likely wouldn't cause a sense of extreme awe, like in Job. And then later in this passage, the Leviathan breathes fire. Hmm.
1: All the other features seem to be straightforward descriptions. But as I keep saying, it's okay not to have all the answers. So I really don't know. Uh, Was it just a hot breath from a creature or? The bottom line of the book of Job is that we can trust God even when he says things we don't understand. So if God wanted to make a fire-breathing creature just to show Job, and I don't understand that, the problem's not with the creature, it's with my understanding. Good news for preteen girls out there unicorns are real or they were real
0: wait are you kidding
1: no horse-like fossils with a horn on their head have been unearthed in siberia and it's called an elasmotherium.
0: oh that's so exciting and it's a horse with a horn
1: yeah it's a little bit stockier than a horse kind of rhinoceros ish i guess but yeah it's in the rhino horse order might be a little threatening on a lunchbox though
0: So there's another cryptid mystery solved. Sort, sort of. of.
1: Teenage girls drag those unicorn backpacks out of the closet and wear them proudly. <laughs> but let's think about this. A horse-like mammal with a single horn, we've had what we consider an analog of that for centuries, a rhinoceros, right? Right. And mm-hmm. Bigfoot, we have existing analogs around the world, like gorillas and orangutans and bonobo monkeys. If we displayed photos of all of these with a contrived Bigfoot included, it wouldn't even look different from the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And Nessie, maybe a timing debate, but still a quadruped reptile that follows the pattern of all quadruped reptiles. But what about Pegasus?
0: The flying Pegasus, right? Horse yeah. body, wings like a bird.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so horse, believable. Bird wings, believable. Then is Pegasus believable?
0: Mm. I don't know. Pegasus seems different. Horses, four appendages. Birds, four appendages. Pegasus, six appendages.
1: Exactly (laughs) right. Yeah. Pegasus has no analog on Earth, so not even in fossils. Now, insects obviously have six legs, but they're not mammals or birds. They're not even vertebrates.
0: So, Pegasus is categorically different from a unicorn, even though both horses.
1: And that's why there's a category for cryptids that are maybe not as believable as the others. The ones that don't have analogs in the real world. Can you think of some others, maybe, that are just really too weird and don't have analogs?
0: Um, well, there's mermaids, uh, fish bottom, human top. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. no analog I can think of that for such a creature on Earth.
1: Yeah. They're called chimeras, chimeras. And they're quite a bit more problematic than the other categories, I think.
0: In Greek mythology, I know a chimera was a fusion of a goat, lion, and snake. And it was a monstrosity and creepy.
1: And along that same line, some proposed cryptids are fusions of different animal parts. So, And not like the platypus, which <laughs> it doesn't really have a duck's bill and a beaver tail stuff. It just looks like it. But a lot of these cryptids are usually a human figure with some part of an animal.
0: Oh, like centaurs, satyrs, the minotaur.
1: Yeah. And let's get really strange here. Fairies. Human body, dragonfly wings.
0: And by that guideline, a troll would be more likely.
1: Well, I've seen trollish looking people. (laughs) A really short, ugly guy wouldn't be impossible, I guess.
0: And if I see a tiny winged humanoid, I've got a problem.
1: (laughs) But you see the point? Some cryptid categories are much more feasible than others because we already have similar analogs to those. And we speak of the diversity in God's creation. There is diversity in creativity, but it's organized into analogous groups. We're blessed with incredible life forms on Earth, but they all fit into very predictable categories. And that's pretty much the rule of order that's inherent in God's creativity.
0: So what I hear you saying is you might be justified in searching for Bigfoot, but probably not Tinkerbell. Right. You're safe then.
1: Well, unless I decide to look for fairies.
0: Well, you probably would need, you know, pixie dust or some other magic.
1: Or say that a different way. What do you mean? Use the word supernatural.
0: So there are supernatural fairies? Mm. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. wait,
1: wait, Wait, don't sign off. I won't say there are fairies, I promise.
0: Okay, good.
1: (laughs) On this episode anyway. But next episode, let's consider some stranger reports of cryptids that are a little bit more out of the box than the ones we've talked about today.
0: I feel pixie dust flying already. (laughs) Next week, uh uh-oh, it gets even fringier. Bigfoot jumps the fence.
1: Yeah, today we focused on flesh and blood, Bigfoot and other potential cryptids. What happens when you mix in a little paranormal with some of these alleged creatures?
0: You wouldn't do that, would you?
1: No, but the paranormal people certainly do. Mm. And it makes a huge difference in our culture's collective worldview.
0: Okay. Be sure to join us next time for our strangest episode yet. If you would like to comment or ask questions, please send us an email at godintheparanormal at gmail.com. You can also get information about a variety of topics or schedule live Christian apologetics presentations at your church or organization at our website, thinkingaboutthebible.com. If you found this podcast useful or interesting, please share it with others. You can now search for us on most major podcast platforms, such as Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, and others. Also, our YouTube format has a video component for each podcast with verses, charts, and outlines. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.